Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Matt Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. Today we'll be talking about Gen Con. Jeff and I, anyway, just came back from Gen Con. Uh, that was the best four days in gaming. I'm already looking forward to the next one. Pretty sure everyone else who went is looking forward to it, too. Yeah, I think that uh, the general consensus was that for most people, I think all the people I talked to, that this was their favorite Gen Con they had been to yet. I know that it's certainly mine. Yeah. No, this one was really, really good. And they had, I mean, I know that according to the Gen Con press that they had an additional 8,000 or so people this year. They're growing at a rate of around 20% per year. That's huge. That's awesome. That is massive. Yeah. So they they had nearly 50,000 people this year. Just a bummer if they actually, like, outgrow the city. I don't know if that's possible, but, man, it seems pretty packed. And as far as hotel rooms and and space, it seems rough. Speak to the experience of outgrowing the city that the Gen Con Housing Bureau monopolizing the hotel rooms was ridiculous. It was such a painful process. And because I my travel involved a flight, uh, the hotel room just, like, was not coming through. I just bailed instead of, like, going there and not having any place to stay. Yeah, that was that was unfortunate. I was really pleased that we sort of had an 11th hour hotel room come through thanks to James King and his sister's. Boyfriend? Thanks, Jamie, so, and sister's boyfriend. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. So, we, yeah, I mean, we had had our hotel room get taken care of, but that was just a few weeks before Gen Con actually took place. The Gen Con Housing Bureau, not my favorite part of Gen Con, but once you actually get to Gen Con, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. There were two big vintage tournaments there. I think we sort of mentioned that the first one on Friday is for the uncut antiquity or was for the uncut antiquity sheet. And we were sort of saying that was going to be the de facto vintage champs of Gen Con. And in fact, they had 80 people there, which is a pretty decent turnout for vintage. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think the the two metagames that we saw were both fairly similar. There wasn't a big workshop turnout. I think in the end we figured out that workshops were around 10%, certainly less than 20%. Yeah, I think that a decent number of the people who decided not to come were known workshop players. Right, um, yeah, we were, I think that we were sort of listing the numbers. We, we were sort of listing them. I mean, the New York guys, the Farino brothers, and Detweiler, Nick Detweiler didn't show up. Blaine Christensen didn't come out from the West Coast. Mark Trogdon. Yeah, and Mark Trogdon wasn't there. I mean, like, we just had a decent number, not, like, a huge amount, but a decent number of workshop players didn't show up who you know are going to be playing workshops. And, yeah, um, yeah it, it makes a big difference, especially in a, a smaller community like Vintage. When those guys don't show up, you don't see a lot of workshops. And the other thing is that a workshop deck in general is going to be more expensive than playing any blue deck or dredge deck. I mean, you're looking at a full set of power plus workshops. Yeah. And I guess, um, I guess it's worth noting that all the vintage tournaments at Gen Con were actually sanctioned. Right, yeah. Obviously there were no proxies allowed and everyone was playing with the real deal, which is always cool because you walk around tables and you're like, oh, that board is worth several thousand dollars. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I had an experience in round three on Friday when I was playing against Rick Gideon. We sat down and our table was butting up against another table where there was like a newbie tournament taking place. Yeah. And this was like kids 
sign up for your first tournament experience and we'll walk you through the process. This was the learn to play magic events. Yeah, exactly. Oh, hopefully they showed up with like extra large fries and like a, a 40 ounce Coke. No, but they yeah, were playing, they, they were yeah. definitely playing unsleeved decks with. <laughs> and also they had like a bottle of Coke on the table and a pretzel. Yeah. The Coke was leaving moisture rings all over the place and we're like, uh, judge. So, yeah, can we get the food off the table? Can we get a chamois over here? <laughs> so that was a little bit weird, but yeah. we got well, through it. The judge was very understanding, and they were understanding. Oh. So. It's funny, because there were a lot of people who were walking around both days who were like, oh, man, this is vintage. Look at those cards. <laughs> and I mean, you, you definitely get some extra looks for people who were you know, impressed with the board state or, you know, would stand and watch as you ran through a series of plays or a couple turns or whatever. Vintage is always interesting for people to watch. Yeah, even vets. Like, I know that Bob Meyer was watching one of my games, and I heard about some other very well-known and well-respected players standing around and watching games and being very interested. Yeah. Well, those a lot of those guys will play, too, if they have the opportunity and the time. I mean, I know if they've played before, Dave Williams is obviously a big vintage player. David Ochoa and LSV will play whenever he gets a chance. I mean, it's it's a it's a great format for for the pros. They didn't do the uh, speaking of people walking around by the tables. They didn't do the security thing that they did no. last year, and yet. I don't know if the thieves just didn't show because Champs wasn't there, but all <laughs> yeah, we have is plane ticket money for Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, all, all, all we have is one rumor of a deck being stolen from the Mana Drain, and I didn't hear about any other thefts. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hear anything about decks being stolen while I was there. It's just afterwards I saw something on the Mana Drain where yeah. somebody had said that they'd lost a deck or gotten one stolen, and I, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, they don't even include any details on it, so... Right, yeah. No. Probably had a bunch of Mirage fetch lands in it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All those wretch lands are gone. <laughs> you know, and speaking of that, I didn't play... I didn't look at a lot of matches, but I didn't see anybody who was playing, like, non-powered anything. It seemed like most people who were sitting at the tables had their full complement of what they needed to play their deck. Yeah, I think a lot of people had everything. I didn't see a whole lot of like unpowered decks or yeah. budget decks or anything yeah. like that. I mean, most people were ready to go. Some of the people I had talked to had borrowed, but they had this stuff. Yeah. yeah, no, everyone had what they needed. It wasn't like they were trying to crib anything. So. And I'm looking at the breakdown on for the Saturday tournament. Yeah. And there's only two dredge decks. Is that right? Is that right? That's, that's like really small because most most sanctioned vintage tournaments people are just like, well, I'll just play dredge. See, well, I'm, that, well, I'm not cheap. You only need to have basically right. Well, there there was a lot more on Friday. Yeah, I know that when I sat down on Friday for round one, I was playing against dredge, and all three of the next matches to my right, there was a dredge on one side of the table, and I was like, right. oh man, dredge is gonna be freaking everywhere at this tournament. Well, it usually comes out a lot in sanctioned vintage, I feel. Yeah, right. Yeah, but by the time we got to like round three or four, they were all gone. Yeah, I, I think Dredge just got thoroughly beaten this yeah. weekend. Like, Mark Horning was it was just it was just not not winning. No, Mark Horning wasn't playing. Hey, well, Mark Horning wasn't there. Right. And that's that's pretty much how it was. I mean, we, I mean, Dredge just got whooped on Friday and didn't show up on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an easy deck to take game right. one, but I think games two and three are yeah. 
Very, no, it's rough. Tough. And and I think that more and more people know how to combat it and know how to right. prepare. The dredge matchup in games two and three can only get worse the longer that people play vintage and play against it. Right. Yeah, yeah I like every, playing dredge, playing against dredge games. Yeah, people are pretty well practiced against it and come prepared. I mean, they're packing their, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve, hate for it, whatever. <laughs> and I mean, people are getting better at using it, too. I mean, it's you're definitely trying not to throw matches to dredge. Yeah. So the big chunk of the metagame was obviously blue, and, you know, part of that is because dredge and workshops were so low. Even when you look at it, the metagame breakdown for Saturday, you know, there wasn't a lot of even sort of budgety fish decks, that sort of thing. They, they were playing null rod decks. They were playing either gush or, um, you know, actual blue drain-based decks or time vault or combo. So yeah, the look. Saturday metagame breakdown, the one balustrade spy combo. Was that, that was G. That was G. I heard a, I heard a story of G winning a game turn one on the draw during his opponent's first yeah. turn. Yeah, he did that. I believe he did that twice. Well, with the lodestone on the stack. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He also let a storm player get all the way to resolving tendrils of agony <laughs> and then killed him in response to the tendrils trigger. Wow. That, that guy's just mean. That's I, I mean dick move. But that's awesome. I, mean, I hope that. someone bought that guy a brownie. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, just looking at the deck breakdown, it looks like, I don't know, 75% blue in this, and then probably like 50% yeah. of the blue has young pyromancers in it. Yeah, there was a lot of gush on day two. And I was noticing, I mean, there was a lot of gush on day one, too. It's just I think the gush portions went up because everyone saw that there wasn't a whole lot of workshops day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, how can we best capitalize on this? I know, I'll play the free spells. I think that's how it worked. Like they, there were a lot of gush decks on day two. I'm surprised um, no one like took that another step and is like, I'm gonna play workshops. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I well, think, I guess what workshops won on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I think part of it is just that people don't have workshop components. Like they can't necessarily just be like, oh, I'm gonna play workshops. Fair I'll point. I'll buy these twelve hundred dollars worth of cards. So I mean, I think it's just. You know, whatever people were. And and do do note that I think only one shop deck made it into top eight on Friday. Is that correct? There's an affinity. Oh, on Friday, I don't know. Yeah, on Friday, that uh, Adrian Becker with the affinity robots is the one who made it. Did Jordy not make it on Friday too? On top I eight? Don't think so. But the, as as has been noted, the top eight deck lists, all the deck lists <laughs> for Friday were lost. So we aren't really entirely. Which is sure really disappointing. Point. Yeah, it's real bad, and we aren't quite sure what happened. But I think that Adrian Becker playing Affinity Robots was the only Shops deck that made it on Friday. And then we see three Shops decks making it on Saturday. Right. Maybe everyone turned into Gush punished them. I, I think part of it was just the, the three uh, the three Shops decks that made it on Saturday also had time to retool themselves. Like, I know Tuan Eponertown changed up his list so that he'd be better able to fight Gush and Young Pyromancer. And, and he, he played Trinisphere. He played Trinisphere both days. Oh, did he? I didn't realize <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> so anyway, like, he's he's clearly lying. But anyway, Jordy's deck was, was already prepared to beat Young Pyromancer and a host of other decks. Like, his his deck was really good. It beat me soundly both days. <laughs> and and you were playing Pyromancer day one and yeah. then just regrowth Gush Tendrils on day two? Yeah, it was sort of a janked up regrowth Gush Tendrils. I was missing a Mox Emerald and a Time Twister and some other stuff. Like there, there were other cards that I would have been playing, but I kind of wanted to just try it out there anyway. And I ended up being in a play-in game for top eight, which 
mean, I ended up losing terribly, but <laughs> but I was close. I mean, it wasn't even though my list was substandard, I was close. So yeah, I, I feel like it was actually a pretty good list. <laughs> we mentioned there were 80 people for day one. We got a respectable 42 for day two. Yeah, that's um, good. It was competing with some other pretty high-profile legacy events, so we got a, a smaller it's, group, but it was still a great legacy, time. quote-unquote champs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was that was the big legacy event of the weekend. This this Saturday tournament appears to be the top eight of transformational sideboards as well. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of them. Actually, a lot of people were playing that sort of deck, and I was actually asked whether I was playing Oath in mine. That's on, awesome. On Saturday, yeah, no, it was pretty cool. So do you want to talk about your experiences coming out of Gen Con and your fun with Pyromancer? Yeah, sure. I had been wondering what I was going to play leading up to Gen Con, and I had orchestrated the purchase of a couple moxes on eBay before going in. And it was sort of funny because the one I had ordered earlier back in July, which was a mox emerald, was coming from Canada, and it didn't end up making it in time for Gen Con. In fact, it's still not here, but um, <laughs> we're not worried yet. It's still on route. is notorious. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm not worried. But it was just funny that I had ordered it like a month ahead of time. You know, it didn't get here, and I was like, oh, okay. But the one I ordered the week, I guess a week and a half before Gen Con, made it there the Friday before. So I had I had a, a Sapphire, a Ruby, and a Jet going in. And I really still wasn't sure what I was going to play, so I tested out sort of a Grixis Pyromancer list and a Pyromancer list based on Rug Delver. And the Rob Delver list did seem to do pretty well. So I went with that. The list is, I mean, I'll put it up in the article, but the, the list is essentially a Rob Delver list, minus Delvers plus Pyromancers. And it, it did pretty well. Like, I, the, the general game plan seemed to just be overwhelm your opponent with spells and counters, and then, you know, beat them down with either Pyromancer or Tarmogoyf or whatever you had available. And if that didn't work and your opponent was playing creatures, you'd go for playing a Tarmogoyf as a blocker, and then overwhelming your opponent with 1-1s. And for the most part, that won. And I think the problem I ran into was that against decks playing dudes, including Steven Stiver's list... Is it Stiver's? Steerman. Steven Steerman's list, the, the four-color humans list, which made sixth place on Saturday. I played him on Friday. The problem was that I was only playing two Tarmogoyfs and couldn't find one in time to block for my young Pyromancer. Sounds unfortunate. Yeah, but, I mean, I drew a lot of cards and made a lot of 1-1s, and the list actually made things pretty easy. I lost to uh, Jordy and the Humans list, and I drew with a Noblefish list, pretty much for the same reason that I couldn't find a Tarmogoyf to block for my guys. So, I, I mean, everything was close except for losing those those matches. Everything was good. Did you play against much fast combo? Because it seems like you take a while to sort of get critical. Uh, I did play against a Burning Long list. Actually, I think I may have played against a couple, but I didn't really have a problem with them. I mean, I had plenty of counter spells and was able to build up an attacking force against them easy enough. The one nice thing about that list against combo is that you have regrowths, which means if you, for example, Flusterstorm something, you can regrow your Flusterstorm and play it again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, same thing with Forcible, and I definitely use that play against combo both days. <laughs> regrow your counter spell. How many regrowths did you play? Uh, I had two on Friday and three on Saturday. Do you feel like they functioned like merchant's rules? I thought regrowth is really good. In the few games that I played with Crixus Pyromancer, I felt that regrowths were better in 
Rug Pyromancer than Yawgmoth's Will was in Grixis Pyromancer, which I feel is saying something. <laughs> that's that's a real strong statement there, yeah. Like, Regrowth was just, go get a spell that was already good for you once. Yeah, I mean, even, like, the Grixis Pyromancer probably isn't really built to fully abuse Will, though, right? Right. Well, I mean, it's well, got... You can overwhelm them with spells again. Like you, you will for value, spell, but, not yeah. to win. Right, 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 right yeah. exactly. Even getting just, I don't know, ancestral land drop and right. decent business spells out of will, that's still a pretty good will. Right. And I mean, my list wasn't like Menendians where he has tendrils in it, so it's not like I was yeah. able to combo off in that sort of way. But, I mean, the idea would sort of be to play a bunch more spells and then time lock with the Pyromancer on board and overwhelm them in one turn. I was actually sort of surprised. I played a couple of games against Young Pyromancer, and, I mean, my deck was sort of designed to ignore it and go over top. Right. But Pyromancer, in general, could get a bunch of dudes on the board really quickly. I mean, if right. so once the Pyromancer was on the board, they stopped playing lazily. I mean, it's essentially a control deck, but once they get the Pyromancer on the board, they can just be super aggressive with their counters and stuff, because you ultimately yeah. have to do something, or else you're just going to die. Right, yeah. Now, it's, it's a real interesting sort of effect to have on board, and it gets really ridiculous when you have more than one on board. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't even care at that point. <laughs> Against that humans list, there was a point where he had a... I guess he was just playing Cabin of Souls, and he played a Dark Confidant off of it, and I... Spell snared, and he was like, "No, it still goes through." And I'm like, "I know, I get two dudes." <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I was throwing stuff into Chalice for that reason. I mean, it was, it, it just, you know, you're still getting dudes, you're still playing one ones, you can still go. Like, it doesn't really hurt you all that much. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I was not convinced of Pyromancer's abilities, you know, two weeks ago, but I am now. So. Wait, so you, you played Spell Snare? I played one of, I think. How I think it? Spell Snare was sick this weekend. Yeah, Spell yeah. Snare was awesome was like, all the time. Really good. Yeah, there, there were was... plenty of spells that I counted yeah. as Spell Snare. There yeah, so much there. at two right now. Right. Yeah, Spell Snare is really good. But let's talk a little bit more about your deck, Jeff. Because you actually had the innovative tag. Yeah, the story where this starts is that the Saturday before Gen Con, I went to you Vermilion. Were <laughs> yeah, and I played against Twan oh, and Jake and Nat with a variety of. They were played a variety of decks, and I was playing UW Angels with Restoration Angel and stuff. And I was just getting absolutely destroyed. I think I probably lost 80% of the games that I played, and yeah. it just wasn't working out. So I was brainstorming on the way home on what I wanted to play, and I decided that I basically wanted to play Combo. So going by Tinker is a spell <laughs> where you just resolve it once and then you win the game. I was looking for another spell where you just resolve it once and then you win the game. I was originally looking into Doomsday, but I didn't think that I wanted to go in there, so I went with the uh, Thespian Stage Dark Depths combo. And people have said that that's a bit too slow for Vintage, and that I had problems with that as well. When you play that combo, it's sort of hard to play cards that assemble the combo at the same time as actually also controlling the game state enough to make it to turn five, which is generally sure. your average goldfish. Um, Wait, Slowed it down instead. I, I have a question. Uh, yeah. What's so up? you mentioned something that you were going to play Doomsday. I, I thought about playing Doomsday, but I ended up have not you playing Doomsday. Doomsday before. Have I played Doomsday before? Yeah. Very little. 
Because I've never played Doomsday, and it seems like if I just picked it up and played it in a tournament, I would get destroyed. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I think that in general, it's a lot harder to make Doomsday piles where you kill your opponent with tendrils when you just need to cast Laboratory Maniac and then draw out your deck. And especially with Gush available, it's it's a lot easier to do that because you can play things like Black Lotus and Ancestral Recall and Gush that basically just cast him and you die. Well, so you basically, you're by dying. that the Doomsday strategy is to cast Laboratory Maniac and then cast the three black leveler. No, you cast the Laboratory Maniac out of your Doomsday file and then you just draw the last two cards in your library. Yeah, that's awesome. However, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. It, I mean, Sam Crowlow had great luck with it. He played it in I think day one and day two. Uh, and he made top eight in day two. Uh, I don't think he played it day one. He played something else. Oh, okay. Well, I know that he was, he, he yeah. rolled me with it on yeah. Saturday. So <laughs> I got it, yeah, it, it up close and personal. Sam Crowlow and Mike Salamasi both made top eight with Doomsday on day two. It was it was a good choice. Yeah, it, it's a super good deck. I mean, yeah. like I'm getting to, you just need to resolve Doomsday. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, but, for uh, that reason. Uh, I didn't mean to derail your... You certainly did, though. As I was getting to, <laughs> the card that made everything come together was Intuition, because Intuition, it's two and one blue, instant speed, and if you're playing four of both combo piece, you have a really good chance of getting one of them, and you can just Intuition for the other on right. the third turn, and then lay down the second combo piece on your fourth turn, pass the turn, and then they die on their fifth turn. On your fifth right. turn. So yeah, I, this actually, your deck actually seems like another one that was benefited by there not being a whole bunch of workshops that were playing Wastelands. Yeah, it's funny. I, I went mono blue because I wanted to have a lot of basics, and that keeps the mana base safe from Wasteland, which is really nice because right. you can easily develop your game plan without fear of being slowed down by, by Wasteland. <laughs> but at the same right. time, the combo itself is disrupted by Wasteland, which necessitated pithing needles in the board. Right. Yeah. Um, in order to deal with that. But in general, the deck is mono blue and it has a lot of control elements and then two combos in Tinker and the stage depths combo. And right. honestly, I was, the big thing that I was surprised about was how useful Thespian stage was. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of experience with just turning it into an island on turn two when I didn't have another island in my hand to just activate drain mana because I can go mox mox thespian stage, turn it into an island, and I have drain mana available. Turn three mana drain? Turn three mana drain, Chapel. It's insane. Yeah, mana drain's still pretty good. I don't really care when you resolve it. I agree. Plus, you can turn into a basic land and make it immune to Wasteland, which is pretty cute. So, so long as right. you play stage first, it gives you the time you need to get your answer to Wasteland if they have a Wasteland on the board. At the same time, you can also do really cute things like copying your opponent's Talarian Academy or your Talarian Academy if you're playing one. I personally wasn't because I only had full power and no other artifacts. I was playing Library, well, and if you can Well, if off... you copy your Talarian, you still sacrifice one. So right. Good Better point. to copy your opponent's anyway. That seems really loose. I wouldn't advise yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but Library is Good. not. First. <laughs> library is not le legendary, and that play is sick. I didn't pull it off in the tournament, but I did pull it off in testing a couple of times. I did it my first time testing that deck. It was yeah. sweet. That has sweet luck and gold fishing. You're just like, oh, hey, library, and yeah, there we go. Yeah. But I could even keep really silly hands. Like, I beat Dredge in game one with a hand that was Mox, Mox, Thespian Stage, Dark Depths, Force, Blue Card, Blue Card. 
<laughs> and I mean, I can just keep that. And if I'm playing against right. blue and I end up needing to play any decently long game, I can just turn my thespian stage into one of his blue lands in order to get blue mana out of it. Otherwise, right. I just combo out and kill him on turn three, which is sure. what I did. Yeah, that seems good. Yeah, it can do ridiculous wins like that. I think that in general, Merit Lodge is pretty good in ways that Blightsteel is not, because a lot of people are playing Hercules Recall or Steel Sabotage to deal with Blightsteel, whereas right. you see a lot less Swords or Chain of Vapor or Echoing Truth, which are all things that Merit Lodge fears, being right. legendary, indestructible flying. She also has the advantage of just flying. <laughs> so that's why going into this metagame, knowing that I would be seeing a lot of pyromancers and stuff like that, small stuff on the ground, flying 2020 ends the game just as easily or even better than 11-11, in fact. Yeah. There were other people playing that combo, too. Yeah, um, yeah. On Saturday, there was a, at least one workshop deck that was playing the combo, probably for the same reasons. I mean, it's, it's ultimately pretty cheap. It's land-based, unconquerable, that sort of things. Yeah, and I, um, I imagine... And they, he, they, he did pretty well, too. I think he top 16. They have a lot of other fun lands that they could copy. I mean, right, they yeah. could grab another waste. They could grab another strip mine if they wanted to. Right. Like, Thespian Stage has a lot of flexibility <laughs> in a deck like that that has a very yeah. diverse land base. Yeah. Did you have a bunch of people ask you how the combo worked? Yeah, I did, and they were super psyched when I explained it to them. <laughs> they were like, oh, that works now? I've heard of Vampire Hexmage, but this is uncounterable. And I'm like, yeah, it's on. I know, you're dead. <laughs> I had a bunch of people who allowed Intuition Resolve with the intent oh, nice. of countering whatever uh, I got nice. with Intuition, and right. then just blew them out. Nice. A couple of times <laughs> I also used Intuition just to get Force of Will to keep me from dying, and that worked pretty well, too. Yeah. Did you play any sort of like graveyard land recursion or where you weren't not built to play that long of a game? I didn't. So in addition to playing Intuition to get combo pieces, I also had Intuition accumulated knowledge with Snapcasters as well. I never really got to pull that off very well. The only time I saw significant numbers of accumulated knowledges through natural drawing was against Dredge and he had... That was on Friday and he had Leyline of the Void in all three games, so that was super awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, ah. Because one in a blue to cycle is maybe good for other formats, not so great for vintage. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's not even all that good in other formats. <laughs> generally, accumulated knowledges got sided out fairly frequently because Interesting. I was almost always just intuitioning for combo. Did and you it's have like you're... a situation where you had to intuition for a combo piece, but you didn't have three of them left in your deck? No, but I did get into the situation where I had had a thespian stage wasted, and then I intuitioned for them, and then got the stage wasted again, and Ooh. had no way to recur a thespian stage. Right. That's why Sally suggested I go for some number of noxious revivals, which I think could be pretty sick in the deck. Yeah, um, I was going to recommend that. Yeah, because sticking in mono blue, there's not a lot of ways to recur lands. I originally had one Crucible of Worlds, but ultimately it just proved to be not as good as... I would still think element. Crucible would be pretty good, because then you could intuition for both pieces in Crucible. <laughs> yeah, but they're not I mean, going to give me Crucible, they're just going to give me one of the pieces, and then my well, Crucible yeah, is in my graveyard forever. But then you hope they give you the wrong piece, and you have the other one in your hand the entire time, and you're like, aha, high five. <laughs> that seems really loose. <laughs> no, it seems fine. Anyway... <laughs> 
But no, I think that Noxious Revival, both for getting back lands or just for getting back the card that I want, I mean, recurring Time Walk or even recurring right. accumulated knowledge with Noxious Revival may actually be better than recurring it with Snapcaster just because you yeah. get card advantage and it stays in the yard. I don't and know. And you play Snapcaster, so even if your Noxious Revival hits the yard, it's not out of play. Right. That's true. I think the deck was pretty good. I had a couple of play mistakes that ended up leading to major blowouts that lost games, mm. the most notable of which I have to tell the story because it's hilarious. Oh, was, this one's good. <laughs> was the first round on Saturday, I was playing against a guy who was playing blue-white. Oh, no, it was just pretty much just blue good stuff. He was playing Time Vault combo and, and generally big blue stuff, Jace and the like. I lost in game one because he mulled down to five and had a genius hand that just killed me on his first turn. And then in game two, because he had beaten me with Time Vault in game one, I sighted in Pything Needles, figuring that I would be able to lock down his vault if necessary. I, I quickly took control of the game, and I had all of my lands on board, and basically just passed the turn, and this was his last turn before I killed him, and he tapped five mana and cast Acquire, which is a card that I definitely had to read. I don't know what, what it does. Acquire? Acquire <laughs> is a card where you search your opponent's library for an artifact card and then put it into play under your control. And I'm like, oh, well, this is fine. I mean, I don't have any worthwhile artifacts in my deck. He's just going to get a Mox, or he's going to get a Blightsteel Colossus, which I fly over and kill him. Well, you had Blightsteel in your hand, right? Oh, yeah, I did have Blightsteel in my hand. So he's really just going to get a a Mox or a Lotus. So who cares? And then he pulls out a Pything Needle, and I'm like, oh. Oh! (laughs) Balls. So, yeah, he pulled out the Pything Needle. Named Thespian Stage, and that was my one-way ticket to Frown Town as he just rolled over me while I struggled to find an answer to Pything Needle, my own Pything Needle, and nice. couldn't get through the counters in his hand. I bet that you cast a choir and it's like, well, I guess I lose. There's nothing. That's what he did it for, right? <laughs> that, that's, yeah, he, and he goes, oh, my God. He, he, I win. He was hoping for something sick, and then he's just like, there's nothing in here. Wait a sec. He said that he'd blown out, like, five people with a choir since he put into the deck. Yeah. What does that cost, like, four? It costs five. It's two blue and three. Sorcery speed. We were talking about as he cast it, because David Ochoa in Ochoa Tez used to play Thada Adele Acquisitor, which is basically the same thing on a dude for blue, blue, one. Yeah, yeah. But if he had had Thada Adele there, I totally would have just killed him, because she would have had summoning sickness. In general, the deck performed pretty well. I did all right on both days. I started out okay, and then around round three, just started performing awfully. So I ended up not making decent standings on either day enough for prize. But I still think that the deck has promise and is a lot of fun to play, so I'm going to stick with it. By prize, do you mean M14 booster packs? M14 booster packs. I got 12 of them. Oh, didn't you get prize on day two? Yeah, I got 12 of them. Oh, wouldn't that make a total of 24 because you got 12 on day one? No, I think I got six on day one. Oh. What Did you open a Mutavolt or a Scavenging Ooze? I have not opened any of them yet. Half of them are going into the Vintage Achievements prize pool, and the other half I will use in drafts against my wife. Yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I think uh, I do. Yeah, you probably do. It's actually drafts against my wife. <laughs> oh, 
So, Jeff, did you have a favorite opponent that you played against? Did you meet anybody cool? I met a lot of cool people, actually, and I think that we had a lot of really motivated vintage players. I played against a few people who was, this was either their first real tournament or this was early in their vintage career, and they seemed really motivated about the format, and they seemed to be really having a good time. I know that that blue player who blew me out with the choir was friends with the four-color humans player who was just on fire and stomping people left and right both days. Yeah, that again is Steven Stearman. He ended up in sixth place on Saturday, and he knocked me out of top eight on Friday, though he didn't make it himself. He just dream crushed me. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, you know, I sat down to play against him, and that guy was just super happy to be there. He was having a ton of fun. He loves vintage. This was his first tournament. Well, this was on Friday. This was his first tournament ever. He'd borrowed a whole bunch of power and, and was able to play. And, and his deck is so zany. And I know. It was just crushing. It's like, I lost to Exava. What's Exava? I don't know, but it just killed me. Yeah, <laughs> it does either. It's got haste, and it was like a 3-3, but it could be a 4-4. That's what I learned about it. I had to counter it, I think. <laughs> that was either one that I countered or lost to. So. Did you learn that when you were at 4 life? No, but no, his his deck was really cool. I mean, he was definitely playing the uh, human synergy part. He had uh, three mayor of Avabrook and um, just a bunch of other stuff. Thalia's dark confidants and the whole uh, cavern of souls package. Like he was, his so, deck was really pretty good. So much of the but he was mostly aggro. I mean, he yeah. had four deathrite shaman and three noble hierarch. I can only imagine that playing shops against him would be a nightmare. Right. He has so many permanents, and then he has all those permanents that make mana. Right. Yeah, and he's playing fourth alias to capitalize on that, too, and he has wastelands and things. I know uh, in my game one against him on Friday, um, he was pretty disappointed that it, he found out I was playing four basics in my list. Like, that was definitely a key to my beating him, was having a, a mana base that couldn't really be hurt. I mean, along with the lightning bolts and infinite creatures that young pyromancer can spit out. But that was a big thing. He's got plenty of ways to interact with stuff on the board. He's got four abrupt decays and three swords with five shares. I mean, like, you're probably not going to get around him with dudes. So, yeah, so um, many dudes. Yeah, he's he's got a bunch of good cards in there. And like I said, I was a super nice guy. It was fun losing to him. So <laughs> I was pleased that he did pretty much the same thing on Saturday and actually got to make top eight. Yeah. I had a lot of fun playing against Mark Lenigra, too. He was last year's Vintage Tamp, and I played against him both days. I beat him on Friday with Young Pyro. Well, with the Young Pyromancer deck, he insisted that it wasn't Young Pyromancer that beat him. And he was probably right, because I'm pretty sure I had Tarmogoyf in two games. <laughs> that, that guy, apparently Lenigra is really down on Young Pyromancer. does not think yeah. it's a good card. No, and I, you know, he, he might still be right. But I, and I know on game two, he just crushed me. <laughs> I know his list isn't up there, but I know that he was playing Grixis. Was it, like, pretty similar to what he played last year? Yeah, I think it was pretty similar. He had bobs and some snapcasters and good blue and black cards and was playing Time Vault. Like, we were sort of joking around on Friday that he had all of the mana. Like, he was just playing mana after mana, but he never got any spells. And on Saturday, he was playing mana and business on an alarming rate in our game one. And then in game two, I mulled the floor, and he opened with library. So that was pretty much all she wrote for that matchup. I know that you were surprised that he was able to beat the four-color humans in top eight. I was surprised, and I guess he really put his number eight on and got Time Vault into play real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah and that, that was the best way to beat him. Oh, because, 
Got four abrupt decays, though. Well, yeah, it, between abrupt decays and Kasali Pride Mages, you'd think and four might be, yeah, might be able to answer him, but I know he tinkered into it one game, which gets around some of those. You know, if your opponent's tapped out and things like that, you can mm-hmm. just go right. for it. That was the play situation was where Steven asked him, oh, what creature are you going to go get? And he put Time Vault into play in one. So, <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, it's like... I guess your sword splashers aren't going to work here. <laughs> this one. But yeah, so I was frankly surprised because I thought the human stack might get him, but obviously Mark Lanidiger is a really good player anyway, so he obviously knew what he was doing. I thought that in general, I mean, we had a good contingent with Mark Lanigra from Germany and then also the French players, and all those guys were super awesome and super fun. Yeah, all the Europeans that I played against were great yeah. opponents. They were a lot of fun to play against. They were interactive. They were playing neat decks. It was great having them there. I really like, it's nice to be able to play against people who are, you know, for our example, outside the Ohio metagame. I mean, right. anytime you get to play against people <laughs> from even Pennsylvania and Michigan, it's nice. And, you know, this time we get to play against the French and the Germans and the Spanish. And, and that's a lot of fun, too. We were even doing a lot of interacting and talking after the matches. I know that right. there was a lot of community interaction after the matches right. were over. We were having a great time together. Right, yeah, and I, I talked to several people over the weekend who are in their respective areas putting together vintage communities or you know, organizing tournaments. I met the guy from Kalamazoo and the guy from North Carolina, Atlanta. They were all really great to talk to, and you know, it's really good to see that the vintage is alive and kicking elsewhere. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I saw everyone posting on Twitter about how much of a good time they were having interacting and playing with everyone. Yeah. You know, I sort of wonder if part of that is because Champs wasn't there. I mean, there's a lot less pressure. It's nice having the larger tournament that Champs brings about. But, you know, you end up with a good-sized tournament where you get to play all day, but you don't end at 10 in the evening and you're not exhausted. And You know, a lot of that makes a big difference. Like, it's it it ends up being... It's no less competitive, but it's just a little bit more casual. Like you're a little bit friendlier and you know more relaxed and able I to mean, able to be nice to people. <laughs> I love playing Magic. Right. Every time. I don't want to play 14 rounds of Magic any day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was good. I I'm definitely looking forward to next year's Gen Con and all of the events, and I'll look forward to seeing people again that came out this year. Speaking of what else happened at Gen Con. Oh my gosh, what else happened at Gen Con? There were actually quite a few neat things going on at Gen Con this year that we did. We obviously didn't do True Dungeon. <laughs> I guess we sort of panned that last conversation. Yeah, yeah, we sort of we were sort of down on the True Dungeon just a bit. Uh, Although True Dungeon really helped me out yesterday because I was going through an old bag and I found the little light thing that they gave us where you pull it oh. and it turns on. Yeah. I had to change the headlight car, and it was dark outside, so I clipped it to my shirt, and it was awesome. Wow. Hey, way to go. You were supposed to return that, you know, you jack. Oh. Wait, yes. you were? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to count that as services rendered. <laughs> what we did do this year, though, uh, Nat and I both had press badges as we are legitimate news. We're, we're serious vintage. Yeah, we are a legitimate news organization now, so we got press badges. I don't know how this happened, but I'm in some Wizards of the Coast database for Dungeons & Dragons, so I got an invite to the D&D press party, 
though none of our other press friends did, and I got mad into it as well, and that was really cool. It was in a different building than the Indianapolis Convention Center. It was in an old theater on the top floor in the rooftop ballroom, and they had redone the entire ballroom to be sort of like a fantasy setting out of Baldur's Gate, and... They did a press conference up there, and they were going to do a party complete with a murder mystery, but we didn't actually stay around for that. I I really regret not staying around for that. The more I think about it, I would have much rather done that than gone to Ratskeller. I I guess that ultimately, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed with the Ratskeller, but... But hey, what what was the Ratskeller? It was a restaurant. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, that D&D thing was actually pretty cool. I haven't played a whole bunch of D&D. It's sort of coincidental that I had actually played D&D like three weeks before this because some friends of mine had wanted to play it. So like I was just coming off of games and, and, and I'm actually pretty excited and interested in it. You know, so we got this cool invite and they were showing us all these D&D new things that were coming out that all looked pretty cool to me. But Com- Complete um, with an open bar. Yeah, and they had the, had the open bar and they gave us some cool D&D swag and we got to ride up on the elevator with that D&D author who you knew that you should recognize, but we didn't right. until we looked him up afterwards. Right. I, I can't remember his name now. Nor can I. But uh, it was neat. That was... That was... We, unfortunately, we're just not ingrained in the D&D culture. Like, if we yeah. had ridden up with someone from Magic R&D, we would have known, but <laughs> unfortunately, we didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Know, it, was, it was really cool. All the people there were definitely hardcore D&D people, and uh, we didn't want to... Or at least I did not want to show my relative lack of knowledge of D&D. They'd yeah, be like... We, we were out of place. <laughs> <laughs> just a bit. It's like, yeah, I like to play clerics. They're my favorite class. And that would have been about as far as our conversation would have gotten us. Yep, exactly. What other events did we do? Well, we mostly demoed games. I mean, I know we demoed some... Well, you demoed Netrunner, and we all demoed some Spartacus, which is one of my favorite games, even though I don't think you were as impressed with it as I was. No, I I like Spartacus. I'm totally down with Spartacus. Um, Spartacus, I I played the Spartacus last year, and it's a great game for a group of friends because it's basically all just stabbing each other in the back. Right. Yeah. I bought the... Well, we demoed it this year. Jeff and I demoed it with G and... CJ. Jerry Yang. Oh, was it CJ? It was oh, CJ. J- we, Jerry we, got, we got Jerry in later on so he could oh, right. be a jerk. Right, yeah. So we, we demoed it, and I actually <laughs> ended up buying the expansion, which allows me to play a six-player game now. I really enjoy that game. I think that's a lot of fun as far as backstabbing and you know coming up with different reactive cards. And, I mean, the combat in the arena is still the best part to me, except for Jerry, because I, I his think, roles are terrible. I think that people get... They sort of get a bad idea on how combat works in the arena for Spartacus, especially in the demos, because they're like, right. oh, hey, try this out with these lame starting gladiators. Yeah. And it's just two guys come together, you roll dice, and one of them dies. Right, yeah. And, no, they, and ultimately, they, like, it, when you actually play the game, everyone gets their good gladiator who has different strengths, and they equip right. them with equipment. And there are so many more levels to what happens in the arena once you actually get specialized dudes. Right. That, yeah. The, that the, the starter guys can't even the, suggest. Right. Yeah. Once you have actual gladiators, like gladiators with names instead of <laughs> locations, like the combat <laughs> just goes off the charts. It's so much more fun. Like I, I love that part of the game. And the expansion actually gives rules for how to have combat between multiple people, so you can have instead of just one on one, you can have A two on two teams. Yeah, you can have two on two teams. And I'm, 
I'm sure you can organize it so that you can have three ways and everyone that can thumbs up awesome. thumbs up the three way. So <laughs> um, yeah. But really, but, the part that I'm, I'm the most upset that I missed from Gen Con is definitely the Yu-Gi-Oh token booth. Yeah, we all got miscut Team Series tokens at the booth. I'm so bummed that CJ and I left before you guys did oh, that. Oh, that's right. You I was already gone. Did you and CJ get a token together? No. Oh, that would have been cute. I've never actually seen the Yu-Gi-Oh token booth. Like, Have you not gotten the tokens? No, I, don't, I have no Yu-Gi-Oh oh. tokens. So. Man, next year, that's day one. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I keep on missing out on that. Um. Yeah, that, we all got a Team Serious miscut token, which is kind of cool, except that since they're all miscut, none of them is special. <laughs> it's um, sort of like old Fallen Empires cards, where the rarest <laughs> ones are the ones that are actually properly cut. Yep. And Jeff, you played Netrunner. Did you enjoy that game? I thought that Netrunner was pretty good. I think that, once again... It's I, part I, of a demo. The demo it's like part of a demo, great. and, and yeah. I know that Eric bought it, Eric Butler, and he was saying that there were a lot of cards and stuff in the full set that we had not even <laughs> yeah. touched on that would add extra dimensions to the game. I don't have a lot of people who I could play with around Toledo. I was planning on looking for it online because the, the, the way the Netrunner distribution works is you buy the core set and the core set has all of the cards in the core set. And if you buy the expansion, right. you get a full set of all the cards in the expansion, which seems like it would lend itself to an online play format very well. And I was going to see if, right. if that was possible because that, that, oh, yeah. that game was a lot of fun to play. Okay, yeah, and I know there are a few other people who have enjoyed it. To, uh, Matt Hazard has it, and CJ bought it too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you played Le Petit Prince? Yeah, I played Le Petit Prince, which oh. is the little prince tile it's a, great, game. it's a great book, by the way. I, I haven't I haven't actually read the book, though I'm planning on it now. The book is now. phenomenal. But anyway, they have a tile game where you're building a planet, and there are different squares that you put together into your planet, and you get points based on what appears on the squares in your planet. And the way you get the squares is you end up Rochester drafting them, or Winston drafting them, rather. You reveal a certain number of them, and then you can look at them. You put some face down. You then choose your opponent to pick one, and then you take one. So it's like JR was calling the ultimate screw your neighbor draft because all you're doing is practicing your draft skills and bluffing against them. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. I, I didn't get a chance to buy it because I couldn't find it in the exhibit all on the last day. But I am going to plan on looking for it either online or at my local game store. Seems really good. We also, yeah, that was, that was fun. Nat and I demoed the latest Ascension. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot to talk about that. It seems like a fairly typical build your deck some element of randomness. I Most of the other Team Serious folks have played a lot of it and either like it or don't like it. This was, I think I'm probably the last person to get on board with this because this was my first time trying it out. And I can see both sides of the argument. It's not my favorite. I I mean, as far as deck building games go, I like Dominion a lot better because I think I really dislike the fact that in Ascension you can have bad luck that you just never get cards that are any good. It's like, I can't do anything. I'm just going to buy more money and militia. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. You like Dominion better. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I like the various builds of Dominion. So, I mean, I can go on and on about those. I like the Hinterlands and Seaside expansions for that because I think they're like playing Gush Combo and Drain Tendrils, respectively. A lot of cantrips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cantrips are sweet. Yeah. <laughs> So that's just how I feel. I know a lot of people really like Ascension, and it's not a terrible game. I just it's not my 
it's favorite. It, it has the randomness element that can right. sort of equal the playing field between good players right. and bad players, I think. Right, yeah, which is obvious because I won when we played our demo. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> and, and it was just that I got the good cards and yeah. everyone else got nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially Ryan, so. who literally got nothing. Right. That was fun. I, I, I do enjoy the playing different games part of Gen Con. Cause I, obviously, that's part of the reason to go. Right. But most importantly, though, was the, the Gen Con dance. Oh, man. Gen Con dance. <laughs> I'm, not uh, sure. I'm not even sure what there is to say about the Gen Con dance other than I, I think, okay, here's here's You just the really thing. have to go to Gen Con dance. You won't know about Gen Con dance until you've been here's to Gen the, Con dance. Here's the thing about Gen Con dance. So we're up on the second floor basically looking down on... Everyone oh, always looking down on, on, them. on the exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. and so is that in the elitist spot again? I love yes, that. yes, totally. It was the exact same thing that we did. And in so, 2011. looking down on these people, I have these mixed feelings because on one side, it's really amazing that you can have these hundreds of people who are socially awkward, inept, <laughs> miscreants totally leaving their dignity and self-respect at the door and just going nuts on the dance floor. And that's a certain amount of something beautiful. But at the same time, I'm the guy up on the balcony who's making fun of that. But you guys can't go anywhere without being made fun of. Just remember that. Yeah. So it's really something. Yeah, I want to. I want to know if you guys were successful this year in getting the DJ to play any songs off of the Patrick Chapin MTG rap album. No, I, I don't think Patrick Chapin was there this year either, so it might not have meant anything to a lot of people. There, there was Big Bird who was getting down on the yeah, dance floor. Big Bird was there. Captain America was there. Captain Picard was there in character, I think, just walking around and enjoying himself. He wasn't taking part in the dancing. He was just walking around. <laughs> yeah, I mean those those. Wait, I think like those the real the, Captain Picard? He may yeah, have been. the real Captain Picard. <laughs> well, I, I, I know at Comic-Con, Brian Cranston showed up as Walt. Well, I mean... In the Walt mask. I'm going to say yes. I mean, it was probably actually Patrick Stewart in a Captain Picard mask. <laughs> All so. right, good. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Gen Con dance is just insane. Like, I know most of us were there and just roaring drunk. <laughs> so <laughs> even, even I came out of the woodwork and took a Miller High Life, offered to be my net, and drank it. Wow. Yeah, that was, that's, that's, that's really sad. That was sad. It, it, you really can't say much about the Gen Con dance other than if you haven't been to Gen Con dance, you should probably make time to go in the future. And that building is really cool. I know. Isn't was it, it in the same building? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's awesome. Yeah, and I, I know in 2011, at least, like we were walking all around it and going through the catacombs and whatnot because we didn't get yelled at by that guy. To the so. other hotel to buy beer? Our hotel this year was right across the street. So I don't know if that's where they were going, but they, somebody did bring back some beers. We stood around and drank them. Our hotel, the Omni, was way more convenient for the Gen Con dance than any other hotel it was around, I think. And that's really what counts. Right. Did we eat any good food, Jeff? Or did, I think, did you and I eat together every night? Other than the... Yeah, oh, actually, you went to St. Elmo's, right? Yeah, but and I ended up eating with you again when we went out right, yeah. that night. 
so yeah, we did eat together every night. I think that the food was good in general. Like, I was not super excited about the Wrath Skeller. I wasn't either. I've decided that I'm just not a huge fan of German restaurants. They promise so much, but really what you end up getting, if anything, is quantity over quality. Yeah. And the one quality thing they had there was their hot mustard, which to some people would be inedible. And one of those people was me. Yeah, you're not a hot food person. But that, yeah, that was... I think that they even had... the people who were hot food people were pretty... That mustard was pretty intense for them. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Like, I, I was eating it, but it was like I was eating a little tiny bit on every bite. Yeah. I um, know that Jimmy got regular mustard with his food, with his sausage. And oh, JR, I think you're trying to switch it. JR kept trying to switch it. And <laughs> Jimmy never got fooled. He always checked it before he tried it. Yeah, it's just, it wasn't, especially for the price involved. In the, yeah, and you got that $38 beer. And, and the distance to get there. Was it 38 yeah, wasn't it? Oh, man, I thought it was 18. <laughs> I, I, I think it was 38. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it had to be 18 okay. based on my bill. It wasn't 38. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's, we're, let's we're fine. That it was 18. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was 18 because I think my bill was 56 with a $28 meal. All so. right. Fair enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was fine. But we did walk a long way to yeah. get there. Yeah, we walked a long way, and we actually started a little bit on the way because we were already at the theater. Yeah, that, we so. also gave up open bar to go there and, right. and free whatever the D&D yeah. press party was going to be serving. Yeah, and that Driz de Orton cake that they hadn't cut yet. Oh, we missed that cake. I know. It's apparently oh. the 20th anniversary of Driz de Orton, if I'm saying that properly, who is... I, I have no idea what you're talking about, so he, He's a famous D&D character that R.A. Salvatore created, and, like, every D&D D &D fan is in love with him. Oh, that's cool. There were statues of him all around, but you probably didn't realize who they were. I, I don't know who that is. Yeah. You would have recognized if it was Jace? Well, yeah, I would recognize if it was Jace. <laughs> he's part of the mythos that I live with. <laughs> if Jace dual-wielded, he'd probably be as cool to magic players as Driz Dorton is to D&D players. <laughs> Jace has four abilities. <laughs> <laughs> but does he have two swords? He's got Brainstorm. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And um, win. He has win. Yeah. So, But I, I felt that the best restaurant that we went to was actually Punch Burger. Yeah, I feel that that was definitely the most notable. And that food was really good. Yeah, based on price and location yeah. and quality of food, everything was really good there. They, and we even ran into restaurant. serious vintage listeners there. Yeah, there were people awesome. there who came up to us and said, thanks for the recommendation. This was awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So that was great. Wait, what did you recommend them? To go to Punch Burger and from our last episode when we had the restaurant recommendations. Yeah, they were they were apparently walking around Indianapolis looking for somewhere to eat, and they were like, oh, Punch Burger. I've heard of that from the Serious Vintage podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. food comped. Yeah. Yeah, we should have. But yeah, I, I mean, I just got the basic burger there, and they're, it was really good. Their pickles were nice, and their pickles were actually nice because they were more cucumbery than pickly, which was great. That's awesome. A little bit fresher and not quite as acerbic. They're a new restaurant because they've started. They were not there last year. Right, right. And I, I'm I'm definitely stoked to go next year. Yeah. And the other nice thing is that they have a bar where they serve beer. I got a pitcher. <laughs> I mean, I shared it. Yeah, they served their beer in glasses that looked like cans. Yeah, that's <laughs> so cute. 
that we also went to the super trendy restaurant, Cerulean. Oh, yes, yeah. So the Cerulean is the restaurant for the Hotel the Alexander, where some of our serious contingent was staying. The Alexander is super elite hipster. Super what trendy. What is that? Oh, so it's it's not like a normal hotel. It's a boutique hotel. I don't know about boutique hotel. It was just super hipster. Yeah, like we went into their room and we were just like, wow, gonna get yeah. thrown out of here because I don't have an iPod. Right, but the food was interesting because it was definitely one of those gastronomical experience restaurants. For example, I was coming in after a tournament and hadn't eaten dinner, so I just got three different appetizers, and one of them was chicken wing skins, which was essentially a pork rind, but made from chicken skins. Did you get the uh, the foie gras cotton candy? No, I didn't. I got a basket of toast with four different spreads, which were kind of interesting. One was a pickled watermelon spread, which was actually really, really good. And what was my last one? I guess the beet and carrot salad, which was essentially sliced beets and sliced carrots in a baby food jar doused in vinegar. You seemed pretty stoked on that, and especially on your little finger clapper tool that you used to eat it. Oh yeah, that thing was awful. <laughs> I don't even but, know how to. But the salad was thing. good. I I yeah. really like I really like beets and carrots and root vegetables in general. So the That's salad cool. was good, and the, the whole food for me was fine. Like I'm not. I think I, if I had realized that I was getting pork rinds and not buffalo chicken wings, I probably would have done something different. But it was good. Yeah, I um, felt like they were going for an experimentation of flavors and yeah. tastes. For instance, I had already been to St. Elmo's that night, so I just got a dessert. And my dessert was spicy chocolate. You had, avo- you had avocado ice cream yeah. and chocolate mousse. Or and it, was, it was sort of laid out, and it was... It was it artistically was laid out. Artistically laid out. It was cute. It was good. I enjoyed it. It was funny, though, because, I mean, I can enjoy food that is meant to... Ironically. Be, be, I can enjoy food that is meant to be exotic and sort of be right. a, a tasting experience. Eric Butler is totally not down with that <laughs> He's like, what the is this on my plate? Right. What well, He got vinegar ice cream, and what was his pairing with it? It was peaches and oh, corn, yeah, peaches. corn cake. Yeah, cor- corn cake, and he had some peaches of some sort, and then there were little Pop Rocks squares. Yes. They were like squares squares of pastry made with Pop Rocks. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think he just got out-trendied real bad. Real bad. <laughs> the, the ice cream itself, I tried. Not my favorite. Might not do that one again, but he, he uh, hated the it. combination of things was good. It yeah, was fine. yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I said, I can enjoy food ironically. So <laughs> yeah, I thought the place was fine. It was what it was. Which they is, did have insane ginger beer, which they made themselves. Right, apparently. they had homemade ginger yeah, beer, which yeah. was phenomenal. Twan and Sam went there on Friday morning after getting annihilated up in their room. <laughs> and and just like had a morning drink and the bartender was actually just making the ginger beer there in the morning real neat <laughs> yeah no it was real good nice and spicy ginger and you know not real sweet and anything like that. it was it was good and jerry jerry yang tried the chicken wings oh, the chicken tenders yes he was as jerry was expected to be not impressed he said they were better than he expected but he also said that he thought that the chicken tenders at hooters were better or was that G? Probably both. <laughs> so, yeah. I thought that but they were good. 
But, but frankly, saying that they were better than he expected is pretty high praise coming from Jerry. I that's think true. That's, that's a recommendation. So if you haven't tried the chicken tenders at the JW Marriott in the uh, high-velocity lounge, you should probably go check them out. This was what, coming off of his recent review of Long John Silver's? Yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> compared to Long John Silver's, they're better well, than the, expected. The theme of the restaurant review for Long John Silver's was that he was so dehydrated... <laughs> that it took him two days to recover from Long John Silver's. So, at any rate, the high-velocity sports bar was probably better than that. Reading Jerry's review of Long John Silver's is just him finding different ways to say, the primary flavor was salt. Yep. (laughs) And, I mean, I'm trying to think if I had anything interesting to drink, but if I had anything interesting to drink, I forgot. You don't remember it. Actually, the most interesting thing that I had, other than a few cocktails that people were making that were okay. Did you have any uh, egg bombs? No. No, yeah. you're right. This was why it was the best Gen Con ever. Well, Jayco <laughs> was staying in the Alexander, and they were having Jaeger bombs out of there, but we were not drinking extensively over in the Alexander. So most of the booze that was consumed in our room was... I had some beers. Yeah, Miller High Life. <laughs> no, I had a triple brewed in America. I'm not sure where it was from now. I'd have to uh, look it up. Oh, yeah, that was the thing you were super stoked on. <laughs> yeah, actually, the beer I had was really good. I'm a big fan of Belgian-style triples, and this one was adequate, so <laughs> I certainly wasn't going to complain about it. I Like I said, I don't remember where it was from. I wish I did. Jimmy um, was the one keeping us swimming in High Life. Yeah, well, and Jimmy actually also had the Wisconsin-brewed sour ale, which was really good. I'll have to ask him to see what his recommended brand was on that, but that was really interesting. It was sort of an extra yeasted beer that had, it, it was like a sour taste, like it tasted like citrusy. Yeah, but like I said, I'll, I'll ask him and see what his recommendation was, and I'll put it in the text. You know, the one thing I'm really glad that I missed out on is just like the really depressing Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, it real sucks. Well, you know, what we've found is that the best way to cure that is by going to Arby's. What? Yeah. This has so far been a Gen Con tradition is that Matt Hazard and I, on our way home from Gen Con, will stop at Arby's and get food because we generally leave about that time and we're like, hey, we're hungry. Let's get food. And, you know, we sit and talk about what happened. Eric Butler and Sam Crawler were there because they rode with us this year. And, you know, we all reminisced about Gen Con and look forward to next year and I used to hang out at at the airport by myself and really upset that I have to go to work the next day, but, like, really glad that I won't be drinking the next day. Yeah, Yeah, going to work the next day is terrible. (laughs) Apparently, JR flew in on Wednesday, and on his first flight, because I think he had had a connection, he apparently was sitting next to a guy who wanted a party. So basically, JR sat down next to him, and the guy's like, hi, want to get drunk? And Jar was like, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've flown next to that guy before, and he's awesome. You're the party guy or JR? The party guy. Yeah. The guy that, like, on your 10 a.m. flight is just like, I'll have two whiskeys, and you're just like, me too. <laughs> so anyway, I'm already looking forward to next year's Gen Con. We're already figuring out room reservations so that we don't have to go through the housing bureau. Yeah, I'm in next year. I'm yeah. going to plan this out a lot better. And I mean... You know, in the future, we have to look forward to Vintage Champs in November. So. Yep. 
I have to say, it was awesome the number of podcast listeners who came up to us and were like, hey, love your podcast. People started conversations, talked to us, and that, like, it blew me away, the number of people who are listening, who are motivated, who are interested. That was incredible. Yeah, man, it's like you're internet famous. (laughs) I have a press badge. makes me legit. So good. Yeah, so anyway, if you want to get a hold of us, if you didn't get a chance to meet us at Gen Con, you can uh, email us at our podcast address. It's seriousvintagepodcast at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter or whatever. We'll be around. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. And I hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Trip a little trip.